This is Buffalo, What's Next? I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Dave D. Boat. If ever there was an issue that demands more discussion now, the racist massacre at Tops Friendly Markets on May 14th is um, it. You know, America has a long, deep, rich history of racism brutalizing black communities. But where does it go from here? What does our community need? We must work and teach our children. What issues just aren't being addressed? As long as we keep doing the same thing, we're just sitting ducks for the next mass shoot. That's all you can say. This is a new program. Every weekday, we'll set aside this hour to hear from the community about issues that can no longer be held back. We need to make a concerted effort in our nation, in our institutions, and yes, in our family. And this is Dave Debo. Coming up later on the program today, Quinnae Thompson will share her recollections of the May 14th Buffalo Mass shooting. And uh, Mike Farrow will also be here. He's the lead singer. This is a great segment coming up. He's the lead singer of uh, Farrow, and he'll talk about the role that music plays in delivering an anti-racist message. But first, with us now, Akayate Bailey. She is a community organizer, and she's behind the Buffalo Niagara March for Peace, A Cry for Our Lives, a local march for our lives in solidarity with D.C. and marches nationwide. They plan tomorrow to pull together a rally that'll go from Jefferson and Glenwood to Jefferson and Riley and then end up with a demonstration near the top shooting scene, near those makeshift memorials. It'll happen uh, tomorrow beginning at 1030 and last until noon. Akayate, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Dave. I just want to clarify, it's actually June 11th. Saturday, oh, my, I am so sorry. That's let's, okay. Let's say that again. Saturday, June 11th. So it is not tomorrow. It is one week from tomorrow. tomorrow. Very Saturday, good. Saturday, June 11th. I apologize. That's okay. Saturday, June 11th, Jefferson and Glenwood. Um, we will meet. Uh, the march will go for about three blocks, and we will stop at the memorial site. Um it's funny because you introduced me as a community organizer. I, I suppose so. Uh, okay. Brand new. Brand new to this. The only reason that I'm doing this is because of what happened, you know, in my, basically in my neighborhood. Um, and then what happened in Uvalde. Uh, just trauma upon trauma. And I, for one, cannot You can't sa- sit, stand by anymore. Sit idly by. Okay. What do you picture the goal of the march and the rally being? So March for Our Lives, let me just kind of backtrack a little. March for Our Lives is a national organization that was started by two uh, individuals, a brother and sister, who survived the Parkland, Florida shooting. They were Mm -hmm. in the high school. They were students of the high school. So very young people. They started this organization uh, because they said never again, you know, never again. And unfortunately, this has happened, you know, four years later uh, on this massive scale So Buffalo is so different because not only was it a mass shooting, it was also a domestic terrorist attack against black people. So we need to deal, you say, with with issues of guns and issues of racism. For sure. Okay. The the overlapping issues. And so the March for Our Lives in particular, they have specific um, points of, of their mission. And one of the things that really... Uh, grabbed my attention was not only are they looking to hear and see the youth rise up and do something different, but they're willing to partner with people of all ages. And they they want to expose the gun, um, the gun obsession that 
is unfortunately prevalent in our country, not with everyone, but with enough people uh, where guns are being glorified over lives, in their opinion. And I I hold that opinion as well. So the goals for the Buffalo March are, there's four goals. Number one, to honor the victims and the people most impacted. So there are so many people connected to those 13 people who were shot and, of course, the 10 people who were killed. Right. Um, it's just incredible, the, the, the connections. And, of course, the families and loved ones, first and foremost. We will not forget. We will not forget. The other three goals are um, awareness and support for universal background checks as it relates to purchasing guns, assault weapons ban, and the repeal of the Protection of Lawful Commerce Act. Excuse me. The repeal of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, PLCAA. Now, that is a law that says that we cannot sue the gun industry, dealers, or anyone in relation to the misuse, quote-unquote, of a firearm, which we all know happens every day. Um, It's just... It makes no sense All that right. we cannot sue. I, I, I want to um, go back to a soundbite we played last week on the absolute very first debut of this program. The first soundbite we played on this series was from the Reverend Julian Armand Cook at the Macedonian Baptist Church at a service that happened the very next day after those shootings. I want to be clear that while I am so glad that we are all here together, our goal today is not for another kumbaya moment. Thoughts and prayers are not enough. We need sustainable movement. How how does a rally like the one you're planning convert from that kumbaya moment into the sustainable action that he's talking about? Yeah, so I see it all connected. I am a woman of faith. I have been praying I organized prayer walks, you know, in 2020 um, with other partners. So this is, again, this is not just about me and what I do. Mm -hmm. There are so many people that are supporting this as well that just don't want to speak, and that's okay. Um, So I believe it starts with prayer. Me personally, it starts with prayer. Prayer is the sustaining anchor. Hope is the anchor. But we have to have additional strategies. And so I agree with the pastor. We have to have movement. We have to have movement. And so when we talk about a march, right, it can seem as though, you know, what's that really going to do? A single march? Perhaps. Perhaps it won't move the needle. However, I, for one, have learned so much just organizing, just helping to organize. I did not know about that law. Mm. Um, I'm sure there's hundreds of people living in this community who have no idea about these laws that are out there that are – Basically, we cannot hold these folks accountable, you know, who are selling these weapons. And, of course, the, you know, the um, the narrative is it's guns that kill people, not people. Not I'm sorry. Right, it's right. people who kill people, not guns who kill people. However, if the people both. didn't have the access to the guns, you would it argue. Is both. Yeah. Period. Yeah. They're telling half of the story. And they also will say, oh, well, they could just go to, you know, somebody's back trunk and, and get the same type of weapon. Not so. They would have done that if they could. Okay. Talk about your connection. You said this is your neighborhood. Yeah. You were at home, presumably, when this all unfolded? I was actually not at home. Talk about that day. Yeah. So um, my husband actually works about a block and a half away 
Um, you know, we'll we'll kind of sometimes use the same vehicle. So I dropped him off in the morning, 10 a.m., uh, went and hung out with some friends of my daughter. So I was in the town of Tonawanda, actually, when this happened. And what's interesting is he, my husband, called me um, right around 2.38. And I said, said I couldn't talk to him at the moment. And uh, he had just heard about the shooting. Mm. And he was just about to go over there to get something to eat. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how close it was. I thought maybe he was going to go around noon to get something to eat. No, he, he was going to go over there at about, you know, 145, 150. He would have been in the store. He's the same age as several of those uh, men that were killed. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just awful. This is your neighborhood. Yeah. And you say that uh, you've never really done the activism thing before. Not to this level. But this meant so much that it pushed you over the line? Yes. And Uvalde. All right. Tell me about something you mentioned earlier where you said you truly believe that uh, guns are glorified in our life. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? So I personally have done my best to ignore guns, but I know that um, we cannot ignore them anymore. Uh, It's one thing to have a handgun and a shotgun to hunt. It's another thing to have access to AR-15s and the like. And what they do to people, that's not a regular gun. It is absolutely horrific. And I do not believe that civilians should have access to that or they should go through extreme training and psychological counseling before they can have access to a mass, you know, like a weapon of war like that. So um, just the little research that I've done, people, you know, most people are, you know, generally responsible, but um, they treat this thing as if it's a a toy. You know, they go to the gun range and they shoot and they have target practice. Okay. But they they seem to be in love with this piece of equipment. And it, I, I don't know any other recreational activity where you're using the exact same tool to shoot a target that was used to kill children and elders. I don't know of any other recreational activity where that's okay. The New York State Legislature just last night voted on a series of measures that the governor has said she will sign. In New York State, they're looking at uh, making sure that semi-automatic weapons now will require a permit, that that includes a background check, and that these permits will not be given to anyone under 18. You've, In light of what you've said, that's got to be a step in the right direction. Do you that's, like that? That's a step in the right direction. We. I, that's a step, like you said, there's steps, right? Stepping stones. We need to do more. Um, I, I, I would like to see that at 21. You know, teenagers, their their brains are still developing. There's there's a whole there's a whole lot going on there, um, as well. Um, permits, okay, that's good. Like I said, step in the right direction, but um, I just feel like there's there's more that can be done to at least do you know protect the citizens you know a little bit more. It, it's not going to be perfect. We know that you know laws won't stop everything. Um, but we've seen in other countries where they have, you know, these regulations, the mass shootings have gone down. Some of the other things the new measure will do will uh, increase micro stamping. Bullets will have a, a way to be traceable. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I think that they should ban the sale of uh, certain types of magazines. There's no reason for people to have access to certain types of bullets um, that, you know, 
there's no reason for it, not for target practice, not for any other reason for them to have that many bullets in one weapon. It just makes no sense. Micro micro stamping is part of it, but also the sale of body armor, this new law, which is about to be signed by the governor, possibly even today, maybe as we speak, um, will restrict the use of body armor pretty much for anyone but law enforcement or uh, related use. Will restrict the use of body armor? Yeah, you you couldn't go into a store, as the alleged shooter did, and buy body armor Mm -hmm. unless you had a legitimate reason to buy body armor. Mm -hmm. That's good. However, I do think that that would be a lot easier to get than an AR-15. In my opinion, I think that um, just based on, you know, the little research I did on those two individuals, their social skills weren't great. So I don't know that they would be able to get a gun uh, in the black market, but they'd probably be able to get body armor. And if we're restricting body armor for everyone, then what about the safety of those who would wear body armor for other reasons? Uh, I'd, ha- I'd have to think about that. Um, it really restricting magazines, restricting access to AR-15s and those types of weapons of war, um, and checking school records as part of background checks. All right. If they check the school records of of both of these individuals, they would have not um, been able to purchase these weapons. That is another part of what's uh, sort of proposed. They're saying we need to beef up the red flag laws. As you know, in the case of uh, Peyton Gendron, they are saying that he made threats at his school a year ago and that that should have triggered the red flag law that pulled his access to guns. That didn't happen. The new law that, uh, again, could be signed uh, later today would allow any individual officer or the district attorney to file those requests to have those guns removed. Mm-hmm. You like the idea? I do. I do. It would just, it would take a lot of due diligence and, um, you know, who, my question would be, who will be checking to make sure that this is happening? Yeah, yeah. I, as it exists now, I think the process is there for the red flag law, for the removal of guns, but it's not at the level of perhaps any individual officer. This is structured such that a officer who sees what happens doesn't need to go up a chain. He can just say, hey, let's start the process to look at this individual's guns. It's a good start. And the last thing it does is it looks at social media. Um, It will require – it won't violate the First Amendment, they say, but it will require social media companies to put protocols in place to self-monitor hate speech and then put some sort of procedure in place to react to it. As it's uncovered, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, we we definitely good, but we definitely need to do more with social media and video game and the video game industry. There's there's so much, there's so many layers. Um, you know, people who watch the video, I refuse, I will not watch that video. But people who watch the video say that it seemed like he was in a video game, right? So we know that there's violent video games out there that are conditioning people's minds, um, and they don't even realize it, especially children. Um, as far as what you just said, yeah, that's a good step, but I, I do believe more needs to be done. I mean, there's there's underground, um, you know, chat rooms and, and things where people are making plans, and there, there must be ways uh, with the advanced technology that we have to infiltrate this kind of thing. Your stance on video games intrigues me because I think of something like Grand Theft Auto, which is filled with imagery of people using guns, and it's prevalent. I have two sons. They have both played the game. They are not mass shooters. Uh, I remember once when my, my son was fairly young, I said, hey, tell me about that game. What are you doing there, kid? 
And he said, don't worry, Dad, I know it's just a game, that he's not necessarily going to go out the next day and shoot someone. You really feel video games have a role? Absolutely. Tell me more. So not every child has the family structure, the understanding, the psychological safety, the mental health to play video games. And specifically to play those types of video games. And so, you know, that could be the argument for, for anything. Most people don't do this. Most people don't do that. But the few that do, all of these things are adding to the problem. Yes. At Kayate Bailey is with us. She's the organizer of a March for Our Lives on Saturday, June 11th, 1030 to noon. It's going to start in the neighborhood of the shooting at Jefferson and Glenwood. March to Jefferson and Riley, and then assemble uh, near the makeshift memorial at the top shootings. We'll give out a way for people to find out more information about that at the end of the program. But if, if you'd like to grab a paper or pencil now and be ready to write that down, that would be a good thing. Uh, this is Buffalo What's Next. We're talking about the issues in the neighborhood after the top shooting. And I want to ask you a little bit about the neighborhood. Years and years ago, after one of the other mass shootings, I talked to Professor Robert Spitzer. He is a professor at SUNY Cortland. He's the author of at least five books about gun control, uh, including one of them called The Encyclopedia of Gun Control. This guy has done a lot of research on the topic, and, and he told me something that I thought was interesting, still sticks with me today, that in terms of the politics of the country, gun control is often portrayed as Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal. His philosophy was that's not accurate, that it's really rural versus urban, that it's really hunters versus those who have seen gun violence firsthand. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's definitely some political affiliations with those groups, but, you know, everybody's different. Um, it's all about your experience. So as a black person, I experienced this very differently than you, you know, even if you did live on the east side. So uh, people need to acknowledge that and at least try to understand that. And the problem is that people don't want to do that. Tell me more about that, because to me, that's that's a fascinating little little nugget. It's empathy. Um, you, I have never uh, been around guns much. I have never had a, a relative or a neighbor killed by a gun. I'm betting you cannot say the same. Um, by and, the grace of God. And maybe I'm stereotyping. God, yeah, you are. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. No, I, By the I, grace of God, I have not. Okay. But, again, these are all of my, not direct, these are all of my community members. Like, these are elders in my community. They matter to me. Um, so I cannot think of one person in my immediate family that was, oh, well, my grandfather was killed in a civil war. I don't know if that was by gun violence because I was not born. Sure. He's, um, I'm half Nigerian, but I am American. I was born here. So, yeah, my, my family has definitely had, you know, unfortunately, violence, um, not because of urban um, issues, but because of civil war. So I do want to say, though, Dave, that yeah. often people say, you know, marches. What is that really going to do? Uh -huh. uh, there's so many examples throughout our history of where marches made a significant difference. If we look at Selma um, in 1965. The Civil Rights um, Act had already been signed in 64, but they were still marching for specific reasons, specific purposes. The fact that it was um, televised and people could see the brutality of how these people were treated, that caused significant change and it caused action. When we look back at FDR and how black people could not, um, they could not apply for government positions during World War 
one, I believe it was, and they threatened to march, just the threat of a march, he changed that law. So, you know, to say that people coming together to say, you know, that we want to see change is ineffective is actually um, what people do, I believe, to either A, say that they don't want to do anything, or B, try to stop you. To minimize those who do. For sure. For sure. Lastly, we, we are roughly out of time here. How do people find out more about this particular march? Is, is there a website you can refer? Yes. So if they go to marchforourlives.org, um, we are listed in the, as the Buffalo March, and we'll update with more details as soon as possible. There is a Facebook um, link there. If you go to Facebook and you look for Buffalo March for Our Lives, there is an event page with a ton of details. And here is a text option. If you would like updates for the march, you can text 81010, and then you would text at sign March number four, B-U-F-F. So at sign March four buff, but it is the number four. All right. And you text that to 81010. Yes. Akaya Tay Bailey, thanks for being here. Thank you. Coming up next, Mike Farrow, the lead singer of Farrow on the role of music, delivering anti-racist messages. And then, right around the corner, Quinn A. Thompson reflects on the day of the shooting with Bridget Jaipal Valenza. Stay with us. Support for the Mental Health Initiative is sponsored by the Patrick P. Lee Foundation. Watch, listen, engage, play, and learn with Buffalo Toronto Public Media Stations and our weekly newsletter, The List. Sign up to receive the email at wned.org and find out the best shows to watch, the great music to listen to, the important news you can't miss, and the many ways you can engage with our public media family. Sign up now at wned.org. Donations come in many forms. A sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how. Go to wned.org vehicles. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Hello, you're listening to Buffalo What's Next. We're talking about what led to the top shooting massacre, problems on the east side, and how to fix the issue. Thank you for joining us. I'm host Bridget Jaipal Valenza. We're joined today by Quine Thompson, better known as Peaches, from Peaches and Keys Master Barbershop and Hair Salon on Jefferson Avenue. Peaches, thank you for joining us today. Um, you have been through a lot. Yes. Um, How are you doing? I'm taking one day at a time. That's all we can do and trying to recover. I don't think we could never recover, but just trying to learn how to, you know, deal with it and make it better. You have been in business for 20 years. Um, That's a long time. Were you always on Jefferson Avenue? Yes, Okay, so in various forms, um, you've seen certainly changes in the neighborhood over the past 20 years. Tell me how it was and what it looks like now to you. 
Well, when I first started back uh, the the 80s, um, early 80s, it was um, not too many businesses. Um, I actually seen business come and go. Um, and But then I also seen it growing on certain part of Jefferson. I was on a lower part, you know, but I seen it actually get more and more build up slowly. But um, it's actually too slow because I think it should have been, you know, more building. But even when Tops was put into, to, um, that was a great, that was a big change. And then banks coming in because I, mean, I know when I first came to Buffalo, Jefferson was the place where everything was mm-hmm. until I heard my parents and was saying how it was a riot or whatever and everything was burnt down and stuff like that. So they're trying to get it back up. But I think we need more and more businesses and stuff to be built. Um, you used to go to the tops. Yes. On Jefferson. Um, it, it's more than a grocery store, though. Oh, yes. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a place where we can go and it, and it's a conven- it was convenient. Go and just run down the street while you got somebody under the dryer, um, pick some things up, um, then come right back, have some, get your, um, get a little bit of groceries while you're doing it in between. And then you have people that you see in the community that you get to talk to. And um, so it was like a, a, not just a grocery store, but just a place where you had, um, run into a lot of people that you know and communicate with and and just um even bit other people that was in business on Jefferson. So it was like a family um store. You yeah. Know? Yes. Um more than a grocery but a place to, to meet and yes. to see people and word of mouth. Yes. And it's very much a, a family. Yes. There. And yes. so it's like running into your cousin. Yes. Yes. <laughs> May fourteenth you were at the tops yes moments before the massacre tell me about that well i was um <clears throat> my son had just dropped my grand um daughter off which is 7 months and i had my um my daughter that i raised um miracle and she's a year and a half and we were um she needed some milk and I had a customer, so I decided while the customer was under the dryer to run down to Tops because you have other stores, but when you have Wick, you only can go to certain places. And I couldn't drive way out to uh, Walden to Walmart or anything like that because I had someone under the dryer. So I had to get somewhere quick, and I go down Tops, and I go in to get her milk with the Wick and... Um, when I went in, I, my thing was to go in there and get the wick because I know every time I go in the tops or whatever, I'd be like, okay, I need this. I need that. <laughs> Next thing you know, I've got a whole cart full of things. But because I had someone under the dryer, um, doing their hair, I said, I'll get the milk and come out. And as I went and got the milk, seen a couple of people I knew and, um, checked out. And that's when I ran into Aaron. And he um, was talking to me. He started walking me out, talking about my event I had on Mother's Day weekend, the Magician's Ball. 
and he was um, happy and saying he wanted to come to the next thing that I do and um, let him know when I'm doing another concert or anything. And um, and he's um, saying how great that everybody's talking about it and everything. And he loved Blue Magic. You know, he said, I won't miss another show. And so when he's walking me out, he's talking to the baby in the miracle. And as we was walking out, that's when I also seen a Jitney guy that knows my sister because um, he used to be Jitney, he Jitney for years. Because I remember when he was Bells was in Central Park Plaza, and he was Jitney. Then my sister used to work in the bank, so he was like, "How my girl doing?" And I said, "She doing good. She was here for the weekend. She back in Virginia." He said, "You make sure you tell my girl." I said, "Hi," and not knowing, and not in seconds later that both of them was going to be gone. So um, I walked to my car and uh, told them bye, and and um, I see them soon and. And got to my car, and I was putting my granddaughter on one side of my car in her seatbelt in her car seat. And then I came to the other side and took my my daughter out of the car, and was putting her in the in the in the seatbelt. I mean, in her in her car seat. And as I was doing that, um, I heard this young lady asked me, "Was I Miss Peaches?" And I said, "Yeah." And, and I, she was like, "My mom on the phone." And I said, "Who's your mom?" And she told me, you know, her mom name. I don't, I don't want to miss people's names. Mm-hmm. And so I left my car door open, and I went to the phone, and I started talking to her mother. And she said, "That's my daughter. She recognized you. Virginia recognized her." I said, "I didn't." She said, "She's waiting for her dad. That's inside the tops, and that's why she was in a lot." Mm-hmm. And I said, um, um, "I was." She was telling me, "I meant to call you and tell you how I enjoyed myself for the, you know, seeing Blue Magic and stuff like that." And I said, "Okay." I said, "But I got my granddaughters. I'll call you later. I got somebody under the dryer." And so I gave her daughter the phone. And I went back to put my daughter's seatbelt around her, and I felt someone pulling up behind me. And I looked, and it was this guy with a helmet on, and and it was really hot that day. And then he had these gurgle like glasses. And I looked at him, he looked at me, and my daughter was smiling, and I told her to sit back, closed the door, got in my car seat. As soon as I got, just drove to the end of the lot, I heard boom, 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 all this noise. And I was like, what is that? And I turned left, and there's a light right there, and it was red. So I stopped, and I looked over the tops, and I seen people running, and I just seen a bunch of smoke. So I couldn't really see exactly what was going on. But then, so I was going to pull over, but then I heard it again, and I just zoomed down Jefferson like someone was chasing me. And that's when my phone rung, and my girlfriend called me back and said, Beaches, are you still at Tops? I said, no. She said, my daughter just called, screaming and hollering, saying that somebody's shooting, killing people, and tops and then a lot and all in the cars I said no I, I pulled off I heard it but I, I didn't know what was going on she said um my daughter phone cut off dropped so she didn't know what was going on I said call the police so I called the police it was a busy it was busy signal and I don't know if she reached the police or not but I couldn't get her for like three days and I was worried and I didn't know what was going on and when I got to my back to the shop and my customer was like, wasn't you just at tops? And he said, Oh my God, I'm glad to see you. I thought, you know, and I said, and he started looking, we started looking at the phone. And then I didn't even realize that the guy that pulled up behind me was the killer to shoot her until they said, showed his face and said he had a helmet on. And I said, that's the guy that was pulled up right. And I looked right at him in his face and I haven't been the same since. Just incredible and harrowing. I think 
we assume sometimes that we can recognize the face of evil, that we can look at somebody and say that that person, that's yes. that's a bad person. That's that person is going to do harm to yes. me or to someone. Is that even a thing that crossed your mind when you looked at his face? When I looked at him, something was weird, but but I didn't know what it was. I got a I got a weird feeling. I was like, he got a helmet on, and but at the same time, what's been going in my head is, could I have done something to stop him? Then I was like, then I was like, was it her smile, my daughter's smile? Was it because of the kids? I I you know it was a lot that been going through my head. Could I have did something to help? You know, I don't think that anyone could have done anything to help at that point because the shooter seemed like he was yes, ready for what he was about to commit. Right. Um, there has to be a bit of guilt there for you, though, right? Just not just that I'm grateful. Mm. I'm grateful. I thank God every day that I'm still here. It's okay. I'm Bridget Chaipal Valenza. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. We're talking to longtime Eastside business owner Quine Thompson, better known as Peaches, from Peaches and Keys Master Barbershop and Hair Salon on. Jefferson it's difficult these are difficult conversations these are difficult recollections Um, how does racism make you feel now do you feel differently than you did before May 14th to now well I knew um, I um I experienced um, racism, you know, once in a while. Not a lot because my family, my granddaughters, they, we all, I have all kinds of <laughs> different, my my granddaughter is Filipino, my my um, my daughter is mixed, my, my son is mixed, um, my grandkids is Puerto Rican. My other grandkids are Spanish. So when you see my family, you be like, and you know, um, we love each other. It's, it's. I have. I never been erased. And actually, when I was in serve, grandchild in the service, that's all I grew up. What was Caucasian? I didn't even realized we had different colors, or never realized that we were different skin color, till I came to Buffalo. And going to starter school, that's when I experienced that we were different colors because I never realized it until I got to Buffalo. And it hurts because we bleed the same. We have to go through the same. We have to live the same. We have to deal with the same things. And to know that someone hates like that is is, is beyond my my um, thoughts. I could never think like that or I could never imagine why someone would hate you know, and I I don't even want to phantom that because we we are people. We're all human. Yes. Um what 
do you want people to know when it comes to systemic racism that would affect being able to open a business, being able to um, get an education, get, you know, be able to get a business loan? Well, um, actually, um, when I, I, I was, I always say that even when Hillary Clinton came and I spoke with her, um, she came to Golden Cup, I'm right next door, and we all um, talked with her. And, and I actually brought up to her, I, I said, we need more grants for minority folks to be able to start a business because so many of us have ideas and gifts and we want to start a business but it's so hard and I said we should have a starter business it's like when you get a home your first time home they give you grants that you can get they should put that in place for someone that wants a business and give them a chance and I said because I never for those nights I never had a grant or a loan I worked three jobs to keep my business going it's important to, I think, have that foundation, to have that support. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been, you know, seeing since May 14th a lot of slogans around Buffalo um, on social media, Buffalo Strong, Buffalo Love. What does that mean to you? What that means to me is that um, we all, we all is, is affected. You know, there's more just the uh, family members, but it's it's a lot of people that was out there that saw it, that actually looked like me. We saw it, so it affected us. Then the community, it affected the community. So when we say Buffalo Long, Buffalo, so that means we should come together and make a difference. We should come together and speak about it, not just talk about it, but be do something to help make change. We don't speak up enough. We don't. Um, we affected, we are the victims, but it takes the victims to sometimes God have us things to go on, you know, happen for us to make change and situations happen. We have to change, turn it around and make it for the good. In speaking with um, some of our guests, one of our guests yesterday had, you know, I'd asked him, what should he do? What should the community do? And he, he did push back. And say that, you know, we are the victims here. We don't have an obligation to fix things. We are victims. You wouldn't expect the victim um, of a heinous crime to come up with the solution. But I think there's something also to be said about having people come in and impose what they think is the right thing for a community. So people... Even though you are a victim, you, you still need to talk. You have right. solutions. Right. Yes. Okay. See, um, that's what I was saying. Sometimes things bad happen. We victims. It it takes us to make change, not sit back and say we're the victims. Then that's falling back and letting them the person win. You can't. And in order for them not to win, we need to step up and speak about. Um, what we think that could make changes and step up and try to make those changes. Sometimes it takes one or two, the community, to come together, not just to talk about it. And, okay, we we done went through the moaning part. Now we got to come together and start, if it takes um, writing letters to the president, if it takes, let, um, or, you know, change have to be done. We have to stand up and now 
be the victim and change these things. Peaches, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story. I think it's important for people to be able to hear that certainly there's a way to move past. There's a way to not forget and to remember and honor. Um, but there's also change that needs to happen. Yes. I'm host Bridget Jai Paul Valenza. Up next is Jay Moran with Mike Farrow, lead singer of Farrow, talking about music and anti-racist messaging. Stay with us. Sometimes we miss our morning alarm, then we miss our morning news, and the whole day is off. That's when you can listen to the WBFO Brief Podcast to catch up on the day's news and get back on track. Find it every weekday wherever you get your podcasts, and then like and subscribe so you never miss the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team. The next time you meet with your financial advisor, ask them about making a gift through your will for Buffalo Toronto Public Media. You may have the means to leave an inspired and lasting gift to the station while achieving benefits for your estate. For more information about leaving Buffalo Toronto Public Media in your will, contact Colleen Miller at 716-845-7031 or cmiller at wned.org. Thank you. You're listening to Buffalo, What's Next? There are several ways for you to join the conversation. Send us a message now on Twitter, at WBFO. Email us at news at WBFO.org. Or just press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app and leave a comment we can use on the air. We're here for you. This is Buffalo, What's Next? And good morning, and thanks for joining us here on Buffalo What's Next. And with us, Mike Farrell of the band Farrell. We've uh, had you on uh, WBFO recently, but just I want to remind folks that Farrell is F-A-R-R-O-W. And you can find out more about their music at farrowband.com. There we go. But uh, we're not necessarily here to talk specifically about your music. We're going to talk about some of the meaning behind your music, Mike. And there's one thing about what Farrell brings. It's very interesting. It's a great story. We obviously have talked about it before. You know, just three years ago, you guys weren't even together, and now you're producing songs, and songs that have great musical texture to them for sure. But at the same time, there's a this huge undercurrent of meaning behind your music. Can you describe it? Yeah. Um, as a band, um, I, I started listening to some of the music that we were making, and it became very clear that I couldn't write just happy songs. Um, um, I think that joy comes from a place where it's honest about the pain that it's in, um, specifically being black and having black joy. Um, is a place where I have you have to uh, be honest about the pain and the landscape, but then not necessarily be bought down by it, but allowing the joy within the community and within each other to overcome what is really around us that tries to push us down. Black joy. Uh, let's expand on that just a little bit because uh, you're the first person to kind of say it in that in that framework. But what you're saying is that part of that is just an inherent pain that has been here for generations. I'm uh, there's there's a long history of racist policies and things that 
have affected the landscape of Buffalo. The way Buffalo looks, even the way the music scene interacts, is from policies and things that really separate and isolate people. Um, just the 33 separating the those um, communities. Um, all of these create this landscape that's oppressive in a way and not in a way it's oppressive right. and it keeps people um really in a place where connecting is hard and joy can come comes from that connection and so black joy specifically is is a revelation of of just energy of saying i'm not going to be brought down by the things that are around me i'm going to persevere i'm going to connect and i'm going to love and on, and not just survive, but enjoy each other as we are going through this journey. As you say that, I, I'm here. All of a sudden, flashes of stories and comments that I've heard uh, in the last three weeks from black people who live in Buffalo. There's anger, but there is, and, and understandably so. But at the same time, there doesn't seem to be a violent undercurrent to it. Uh, I think the the reason that there's not a violent undercurrent is that the violence that's being perpetrated is the violence of white supremacy. And, and it's usually framed as this love versus hate thing, and we need to fight hate, when really it's about the connection between us and the disconnection between us. The violence comes from this disconnection. It comes from this fear of being taken over, of being replaced. And as a black community, we, we're just trying to be okay. Like I ain't trying to kill nobody. I just want to live. And just this idea that living is all we want to do and being able to provide for our family, protect our kids when they go to the store. Like these are things that we want as a community. And so, yes, there's anger and yes, there's mourning and there's lots of hurt feelings, broken feelings. But there's also with that the element of we can connect together and we can work together and we can still laugh. We can still rejoice. We can celebrate the lives of those that were lost. There's also you related to me a story of, about a, a little girl inside the store uh, when the, the, the mass shooting occurred that is heartbreaking because of the type of expectation that she had. Yeah, when I read the article, just her speaking about, I wasn't afraid for myself. I was afraid for my mom who was across the store. This kind of understanding, especially because the East Side is so violent, that this is not the first mass shooting in that area. There has been shootings. There have been lots of killings. And so it's now that it's in a racist lens, we're able to see it. But the killings and the violence, they're all still a part of that same system. And it's all still a part of bringing and oppressing people. So when there's this expectation of violence, of course, the kids are prepared. People are prepared. There's a reason why it was the elders that were killed. It's because the young and the able-bodied are prepared. They're ready to duck. They're ready to run. They're ready to do all of these things because they've been so oppressed and beat down in the first place. And so it's tragic and that's why my music, I haven't had to write new songs. Right. I haven't had to prepare a new song at all because I've already been writing about this. I've already been saying it. You know, uh, Mike Farrell, 
that's something we did get into a little bit on the phone yesterday, just that idea that I, I was curious. I thought, well, because before you know, the music, you were a poet. Obviously, you're still a poet. You're a writer. It's, same, not, it's not the same thing, but there is a connection there for sure. And it just seemed to me that after three weeks of this, that the, all of these ideas and such would be coming to you. But that's what you said. I've, this has, I've, not to, I guess, I'll, well, just you, you foreshadowed what was going to happen. I mean, I, so because I write about social justice and I write about white supremacy and how capitalism works and interacts within that, because these are the themes of my songs, of course, I had written a song about the food desert on the east side. It's called? Um, Breathing Air. And I wrote it and I said, um, uh Food is hard to find as much as there's honest living, and we all have an excuse not to do better. And I was talking about literally the the pain that was going on on that side of the city before it ever happened. So I don't have new pieces to write. I don't have new songs to sing. I'm singing the same song that I think black people have been singing for generations. And it's a song that says we want connection. We want to be able to feed and keep ourselves safe. And the current landscape, we can't do that. We don't have the things to be able to do that. So I guess for me, it's me calling out saying, hey, we need to work together and not in some weird happy peace, love and harmony movement but as in we have to do the hard work together changes that won't feel comfortable changes that will go against the expectation the um when it comes to your songwriting those insights that you have are you getting them from just being around people are people telling you these things you know because let's let's, the, the food desert concept has become cliche almost in the last three weeks hasn't it it existed long before that at the same time who was talking about it? I mean, I, a lot of the people that I interact with, um, a lot of the artists, um, I think the creatives um, have a responsibility to speak the truth. And so a lot of the truth telling that I've heard from my peers, um, from other writers, um, and just in the general sense that there is a movement of people who are discussing the underlying ecosystem that's causing this to birth. That's causing this growth of pain and it's causing this rage um, that, uh, well, white rage that's really dangerous to the black community across the country. And so there are people that are trying to excavate and get to the bottom and the root of what's going on. And through that, we've talked about these things. I, I mean, I've I've talked endlessly about food deserts. I've gone into bodegas and I'm like, there's not a fresh fruit or vegetable to be found and how that affects a community and how that affects obesity and diabetes. And so there's this underlying, oh, yeah, they're just fat and they're lazy and all of these things. When you're like, there's an underlying ecosystem that are giving these outcomes. And so I think I hope that this is a moment where we can pause because of the great pain and anguish. I hope that we can look at the pain and anguish square in the face and say, okay, now it's time to do something different. You know, Mike, uh, very easily we can all 
find ourselves uh, getting outside our zone to a certain extent. But the name of the show is Buffalo. What's next? So what could be next? I mean, you know, we're talking about working together. Again, that's a nice sounding thing, right? We all want to feel that way. I, I know I do. The people around me want to feel the same way. Feeling is one thing. Doing's another. What do you think can be done, whether it's a simple thing or a, or a larger, more complicated thing? I think simply it's it's connection. The distance between the east side and the west side is is great. Um, the distance between the east side, west side, and the suburbs is a completely different world, different culture. And so it's a lot of breaking down those cultural barriers. That does not mean that there should be a sudden influx of white people showing up to black spaces, because those spaces are important for the community. Um, but at the exact same time, it's making new spaces, creating more opportunities that allow the transfer of ideas ideas and people. Um, I know I do an open mic on the West side and sometimes it's hip hop. Sometimes it's rock. Sometimes it's a guy that just wants to slay his electric guitar by himself. You never know what you're going to get, but open mics and open poetry slams and open artistic things bring people together if we're able to communicate well about them. And you would think, with social media, being able to communicate to almost anyone anywhere would help this, but it doesn't necessarily happen. So it's going out, supporting black artists. It's going out, going to events that, you know, you might not necessarily go to, but they're for everybody. It's really starting to engage with each other in tangible ways where we're interacting because Buffalo is segregated. It's physically segregated. So, yeah, fighting that segregation. I just want to make sure then the the open mic then on the west side, I wonder, is that every week? What is it? It's uh, at the Gypsy Parlor every Wednesday from 8 to 11. Um, and the variety of people that show up, it's really? you never know what you're going to get. I've had full poetry nights. I've had where everyone's just making and speaking poetry it's open mic so it could and be who's some, coming it no, I, I don't know there's I'm, so many there's folks. so many different people it's just all colors all, co- all ages. colors ages um and age wise until 10 p.m it can be any age until 10 p.m then it's because it's a bar it should be um they should be gone but <sighs> um but yeah all, all ages all skill sets and those areas allow for connection it allows an opportunity for people to you know start to get to know each other in a deeper way i think music in the same room with each other that you all get to experience does a softening of the heart and opening of the mind and so which is part of the reason why I do music. I think I could write a million poems, and if I write one good song, it can do just as much work, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but but in general, yeah, there's... A lot of poets <laughs> out there just got mad at you. <laughs> I know. I mean, I wish, I wish. But it's, yeah. I mean, the la- but that's also the idea. Like, the big change for me, what's next, is changing the landscape. It's, it's really that desegregation, which is hard work. The work of desegregation is hard work, and it's not easy because there's no trust between either side. Um, and so to build that trust, it's finding common spaces, common places to really 
develop relationships and friendships. And especially with people not necessarily of your same class, race, or religion. Mike, I'm also interested in your, your band, Pharaoh, um, talking about the types of songs that you have and the lyrics are inside. Now, I'm one of these guys. I hear a good hook. I just listen, you know, and bop along because I, you know the, the, the lyrics can just fly by me until I hear them about the, the 50th time maybe. But your lyrics, they, they, they hit pretty hard when you do sit down and, 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 and hear them. How about people in live, these live performances that you do? They, they connect with those they hear them. What kind of emotional responses do you get? Let's say, again, you know, because you are calling people out. You're calling segments of society out. Some people don't like to hear that. Yeah, there's there's been some really hard um, uh, looks, hard conversations. A few people have been verbally like angry about it. But most people, uh, like you said, don't pay attention to anything <laughs> Sorry but to say the that. hook. No, which, I mean, is nice. I try to make really catchy hooks for the reason of I want you to dance and have a good time. And then if you take a minute to actually pay attention to what I'm saying, um, it it says something that's meaningful. And it says something that maybe challenges the way that you or another person sees the world. Um, so, yeah, I always try to make sure that the meat of a song connects to some kind of issue, unless it's a love song. I mean, I still write a love song or a breakup song, but I I spend most of my time writing and thinking about the world that I uh, that I want to see and the world that I want to create. Um, I think it's really hard to imagine a ending that's good and happy if we literally aren't doing that. We're not doing the work of imagining how would it look like for Buffalo to not be segregated and not be segregated in a way that did not desegregate in a way that um, displaces people, but desegregate in a way that empowers people. What would that look like? And instead of imagining this is what's going on and staying in what's going on, taking where we're at, excavating the hurt, getting all the wounds looked at, seeing what's really harmed, who needs help, and doing the work of not just saying, okay, here's a Band-Aid, you're good, but saying, hey... What can we do to imagine it all working out? What would that even look like? And before we can even get to how to get there, we have to at least imagine a greater or a better way of interacting with each other. Uh, tomorrow, it'll just be three weeks since uh, 10 people were killed uh, at the uh, tops on Jefferson. Any signs of uh, any, I, I'm sure there are sparks of hope and people saying nice things and such. But anything that gives you that sense of maybe optimism moving forward? I don't know. Um, the The pain that has the pain that is within the community was already there and is now deeper. Um, and there's a lot of organizations that have been trying to work with the community for years and years and years. Um, and I don't know necessarily if even those organizations are equipped to do the really hard work that needs to be done. Um, and so, yes, there's hope in that we're breathing air and we have the opportunity to make change at any point. Um, we do not have to be stuck in the same routes and routes that we've always been in. But at the exact same time, 
Um, I don't think we're mourning. I don't think we're collectively mourning at all. Um, I think there's pockets of sadness and pockets of like, let's just skim over this. Let's move on. Let's move past it. And so that collective mourning where we all as a, an entire city, east side, west side, suburbs, a whole county, the whole group of us, if we can come together and say how sad we are together and that we're not OK and really get to the bottom of that. Mike Farrell of uh, the band Farrell, farrellband.com. Find out more about his music. You've got to come back and talk to us again soon, all right? All right. All right. This has been Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1. Buffalo, WOL, and only and WUBJ, Jamestown.